Tony DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. How are we doing? Pretty well this morning, Mike. Pretty well. Good. Always nice to. Uh, we're always glad when the Mariners win on Wednesdays, so we get a chance to talk to you the next morning. I'm I'm sure it helps your mood day to day based on how the team performs. No. It, it, it's it's maybe my number one goal of the week is hey let's win on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm sure. Good. I'm glad you and I feel the same way about all this. Uh, when we talked last week, uh, you guys were on the off day. You were talking through some decisions, etc., uh, and ended up the next day making uh, a series of moves. Let's focus a little bit on Kelnick because obviously that's kind of the biggest name involved. What ultimately led you to make the decision on Jared? Well, you know, we've been talking about it for a couple of days. And ideally, when when you break camp, the, the goal is to give the players that you chose when you broke, you know, the, the old, I guess, expression, when you went north. Now, when you go north from spring training, you want to give guys 30 days and, and just assess where they are and and uh, then gather and talk about the 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 things that you can do as an organization, as a staff, to, to maybe help the, the young players especially find themselves. And, you know, to, with the exception of the, the, the finish of last year, you know, what I thought was a very good September for Jared Kelnick, you know, we've seen struggles that, that are all in the, in the same area. And, you know, some of it's pitch selection. A lot of it is just, you know, easing up and having a little fun playing. He puts a lot of pressure on himself. And, you know, we thought we could help by just alleviating some of that pressure and, and giving him an opportunity to go play and just let his skills hang out. He's he is such a good player. He's still, and I, I've reminded a few people over the last week, you know, Jared's still one of the, the handful of youngest players in the major leagues. He'll go to Tacoma and play in the PCL, where he's one of the youngest players in the PCL. And you know, I think too many people too quickly are, are writing Jared off. This is this is an opportunity for him to go find himself a little bit and in a little less stressful in an environment to perform. That's that's all. What did you guys tell him to to work on and and kind of focus on while he's down there? Really, that. Just go have fun playing, and and the, the 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 marching orders, so to speak, were no deeper than that. It's, you know, this is not a mechanical thing. This is not a we need to see improvement in X Y Z. We just need Jared to go have a little fun playing because if he does that and his natural ability plays, that's when we get back to the the player that we anticipate that he'll eventually become. And you know, it's a it's it's a it's a double edged sword. We we can give him three things to focus on, and and that likely starts to to ramp up that that same intensity again, and and then we lose the whole reason for for sending him to Tacoma in the first place. How does he find his way back? But it's going to take time, you know, just go back, go back to the minor leagues. It's, it's going to be a performance based thing over time, but it's, it might not be the performance that, that the, the natural observer, you know, that the, the fan in the stands might pick up on. It's, it's pitch selection. It's what you're swinging at. It's how you go about your business. There is no question, you know, day to day, the, the work habits that Jerry brings to the ballpark every day. And you've heard me say this before. They're awesome. He practices harder and, and more intensely than anybody else can. And, and I guess to, to some extent, would like to see him, and this is going to sound absurd to say, try a little less hard. <laughs> because that might be, you know, being a little easier in how you go about it might be the way that the, 
that the, the real ability starts to shine through. And it's, he's doing all of the ancillary things that, whether it's defense, it's base running, it's the accuracy of his throwing. Those things have all been excellent and have improved every step of the way. And what we, what we need to see now is the same type of gains in the batter's box and, and mostly in his approach and consistency and executing a good at bat. And you know, the rest of it will all take care of itself. I love that idea, Jerry, of of needing to try a little less hard. Only in baseball would you hear anything like that. Just the challenge of trying to balance, uh, you know, your hard work ethic with a relaxed attitude. Who, who have you been around that did that best? Oh, there's there are a ton of guys, and I, and I've shared this over time with Jared. You know, I, there are a ton of guys that have had those same you know type of of of. I guess behavioral patterns or, or that, that same type of intensity that became great players. They just had to learn how to channel it, you know, and I think, uh, the, the one that comes most easily to mind is that that's not too dissimilar from what I understand from, you know, where Bryce Harper was when he first came to the big leagues. And I know former teammates of mine that had traits like that where guys like Jeff Kent was incredibly intense, but a great player. He learned how to channel it. And similarly with, with a guy like Albert Bell or Eddie Murray, you know, they were just very intense about going about their business. And, you know, for some of those guys, it's natural and, and they, they're, they're able to manage it through their lives like maybe Eddie did. And, and for others, they need a little bit of time to, to sort that through, like maybe it was the case for Albert. Talking to Jerry DePoto, uh, as we do here uh, every week on Seattle Sports on 710. Uh, you guys went into New York. You won two out of three. How important was that for the ball club? Uh, you know, I think this road trip as a whole, it, it was fun to go in and win two out of three in New York, you know, a team that, that is really as good as any we faced and, and, uh, and was on a roll to the point where they hadn't lost a series all year and the way we won, it, you know, the, the, the drama in the end, I could have probably done without, but it was, <laughs> it, it, it did help to create, you know, a little bit of momentum because that's an area where we were struggling is just finding some momentum and, you know, winning the series finding a way to scratch one out last night against, you know, Kevin Gaussman has been as good as anybody this year. It's, it is a resilient team. And, and this, you know, the core of this team has always been resilient. And I, this is where I think Scott really makes the, a, a huge difference is that he has a great deal of resiliency and, you know, and, and he is someone who's learned how to kind of manage and, and focus his intensity. And this is where you see it show up is, is that in these moments, he doesn't get too stressed. He doesn't get too panicked. He's, he just focuses on what he can do to, to help. And, and I think you see that bear out. And, and the fact that we've gone through six games in New York, in Toronto, we've managed to, to pull out of it at 500 as we head into Boston, it's pretty critical for us. You know, that this, this didn't need to be a road trip where we went out and, and won every game, but it did need to be a road trip where we were able to manage coming back uh, in one piece based on the, the two weeks that led into it. And I, and I think we're delivering on that. When you acquired Jesse Winker in spring training this year, did you know that he would be such a heel, especially in the Northeast, that, that he had this relationship with Mets fans and that he would kind of bring that part of I, I did not see that coming. I th- the day that, that I met Jesse Winker live, you know, I spoke to him on the phone when we acquired him and, and then literally later that day, he was so excited to join. He showed up in our clubhouse in the late afternoon 
and it was pretty obvious that Jesse had some personality <laughs> and uh you know he's he very quickly you know started to to become the the uh the the most the most attractive speaker in the room uh, during the course of spring training and and lit it up in in the spring in terms of personality in the clubhouse and around the facility so i, I can't say i'm i'm at all shocked and and having lived through the the new york experience you know, players, opposing players who perform well uh, against the New York teams and have personality become uh, very easily engaged. And there's nothing stoic about Jeff. He's, he's fun. He's, there's, there's a vibrancy to him. And, you know, I heard Ty France in his, in his post game yesterday that, that referenced him as a big child. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've, if I've determined that yet, but I do know that Jesse has fun. And, and I think that's a, it's a, an extremely good trait that, that if you could pass along to the rest of the team on the days where we're, where we're in the funk. You know, it has a chance to be a really valuable skill. Well, if Jesse is fun, is Marco Gonzalez sexy? Because that seems to be the question of the day on this team. Yeah, sexy to me. You know, I, I you know, <laughs> sexy to me is going out and pitching the way he has been. It's, uh, it's, if Marco finds a way, and and you know, he's and he's done this from the moment he joined the Mariners. It's he goes out and he and he just gets his business done. And like anybody else, he's going to have a bad day or he's going to slump for a little while. But the consistency that he's provided us really since the start of the 2000, what, 2018 season um, has been, it really been a shot in the arm. And there have been times, you know, through there uh, or in there, particularly various stops in 2019, you know, the second half of last year. And, uh, and hopefully it's what we're seeing right now because it, it, it feels that way again. You know, Marco, when we find our way to our lowest point, always seems to have you know the, the the ability to pick us up, and and it's not always going out there and throwing a you know one hit shutout with 15 strikeouts. It's it's more like what you saw last night, which is grinding through a good lineup and showing that kind of determination or the grit that good teams have. Because that's Marco. He's not going to go out there and light it up like Randy Johnson in the day. You know, he's he's going to go out there and he's going to he's going to wrestle with the other team for six, seven, eight innings and give you a chance. And that's exactly what he did last night. You know, it's funny talking about Marco and then the series with the Mets and and there have been some a lot of conversation about guys who have changed their strategic approach to the game, whether it's Paul Seawald and some of the changes you guys had to make when he came here. We heard about it a little bit with Yusei Kikuchi and some of the changes that they're having him make there. It, it seems like that's becoming a bigger and bigger part of the the role of a of a front office is helping these guys come up with a strategy for how they want to approach their game. You know, it's a, I, and it's really thirty teams now have have some form of this a phenomenon or or practicing it, and I, I think it's why you're seeing the growth, the expansion of major league front offices of of coaching staffs. You know, when when I got to to minor league baseball, we had a we had a manager and we had a pitching coach. <laughs> there were two coaches and a trainer. You know, and and you know now there there are five coaches and there are a, there's a trainer and a strength coach and it's time has taught us that we can do better. And at the major league level now, I guess on the most extreme end of it, you see a team like you know the the, the Giants, who I believe have close to twenty major league coaches, <laughs> and you know, you can do a lot when you're when your coach player ratio is like that. And 
And like us, so many teams, including the Blue Jays, have, have a built-out or robust analytics department. And when you take the ability to identify and manage data with the, the communication and application skills of a specialized coach and, and have the ability to let that coach spend the majority of his time doing X, and in some cases doing, doing something with a single or, or a couple of players where his time is just focused on, can I help them do this? Magical things can happen because we're dealing with the most talented baseball players in the world. And, and when we're able to identify what it is that, that we can do to help turn that needle and the player is willing to collaborate in that way. And, and that uh, Paul Seawald is a great example of what that looks like when everything clicks. And, and I, I think that's happening around the league, but it's happened especially here for, for a handful of years now. So what do you do then when the offense struggles the way it has over the last couple of weeks? What is your job versus Scott's job versus other people's job? How does how does the whole team kind of come together to, to work yourself out of something like that? You know, in this one, it's actually a little bit – it's a tough question to answer because another thing that baseball has told us or taught us through the years and, – and I said this I said this to Jesse Winker during the last homestand, you know uh, – Baseball has a, a natural, uh, I, I guess, gra- it's a gravitational pull toward the averages, toward your averages, what you do. And, you know, I, my dad told me a long time ago, a, a guy with a three and a half ERA is probably going to finish somewhere in the neighborhood of a three and a half ERA. <laughs> you know, the guy who's a 280 hitter is probably going to finish somewhere in that range. And, and, and I find that generally to be true. And uh, what we're experiencing right now, you know, especially offensively, our offense has been surprisingly good <laughs> when compared to the rest of the league. And it's a really tough time right now to play offense. And, and I think our offense ranks from anywhere from middle of the pack to, to the top of the charts in certain categories, depending on what you're pulling. We're one of the best teams at getting on base. We make a ton of contact. We're about middle of the pack in just about everything. And in the dominate the zone numbers, we're near the top or at the top. And, you know, somehow we've managed to be about a league average power team. Somehow we've managed doing all this while we are struggling to produce runs. And that's where the, the trick comes in is, is we can't change our process. Our process has us roughly ranked in the top five or six teams in our league in almost every category. The result is that our run production is closer to 11th or 12th. And that's largely attributable to the fact that we're hitting a buck 80 with runners in scoring position. And that's what history tells you is unsustainably low. At some point, we will start to, to find the ground ball to the right side, the sack fly, or the big hit that scores the run. And then it'll start coming in droves. And it's, a, and it's something that in baseball, like where we started with Jared Kelnick, if you push it too hard, mm. all you're going to do is make it worse. <laughs> and the best thing you can do is just wait and reassure people we're doing the right thing. You know, the, the process is good. Keep grinding because we'll get there. And, you know, in the, in the short term, and I know Scott and the staff have been all over this in the short term, when you get in those moments, just take a breath, recognize you're in that moment. And sometimes the best thing you can do as a hitter is just spread out in the batter's box <laughs> and approach it. Like you have two stripes, just put the ball in play. And, and again, that's something we've generally done very well. So it's it's hard to get too down about the about our process. It is 
frustrating not to push runs across, but that'll change. Well, and, and and it strikes me that, you know, when we first talked at the beginning of the year, one of the things you said you liked most about the team was its depth. And obviously that's been challenged here over the last couple of weeks with some of the injuries, et cetera. It, it strikes me as a particular challenge for someone in your spot where the team is at in their development. How do you add depth without without burying guys that you want to get playing time to, but while still having some serviceable players around that can go in and help out in case all of the, you know, the positive suppositions don't work out the way you want them to. Well, what I've learned in, in doing the job that I do is, is that there's, you're always going to wind up exposed somewhere down the line. There is no risk-free roster. It doesn't <laughs> exist. And, you know, we, we have, a group of young players and, you know, guys like Jared Kelnick, like Cal Raleigh, you know, who like the, the young group that has graduated, Abraham Toro, who a, a year ago, or I guess during the final half of last season was a key contributor for us. And, and they've struggled, but we have to provide the opportunity for them to continue to, to grow and get better. And the, the trick is finding, and this is a Jesse Winker is a great example. You know, Jesse Winker, has a, a irrefutably strong track record as an excellent major league hitter in, during his time with the Cincinnati Reds. And, and why Jesse was such a, uh, a focused target of ours is because as a left-handed hitter who had a history of punishing right-hand pitching, uh, Jesse could come up, who could play left field, we could slide him to DH, there was some flexibility. Jesse could come in and allow us the ability to create opportunity for Kyle Lewis, you know, when Kyle Lewis is healthy enough to play. That Jesse could allow us to, to rotate Mitch Hanniger into DH when Mitch needed the DH day. That it would allow us to, to potentially introduce some combination of Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez in the outfield. But if you go out and you sign a big right-handed banger who needs to play every day, that's effectively you just block the spot. So it's a very small twist or a nuance but it is it it does affect the way you build your team and and the one thing that you can't plan on is that the the two of those players are injured and don't play in most of your games one of them really struggles and winds up back in triple a which is the more predictable of those outcomes and then the the depth that you had in triple a they're all hurt too <laughs> so you know you go out and 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 do the best that you can to put players in place and then ultimately and on may 19th you wind up waking up and you yeah. have steven souza playing right field who has a three-win season in the major leagues who has hit 30 homers in our league who i do think is a representative player in terms of the depth Unfortunately, we got there much quicker and, you know, by taking a different road than we would like to. But the the depth, truly, I don't think the depth is our problem. You just can't plan for especially what has happened to our outfield. You could argue you could plan for it elsewhere, but stacking up veteran players via free agency and blocking all of your young players from playing time is, is no way to develop a long-term roster. How is You mentioned Kyle Lewis. How is he doing? How close is he? Uh, hopefully really close. Uh, I mean, truth be told, his, his, uh, rehab assignment is concludes on Monday. So we'll have some answer as to what we do moving forward by then, whether that is, uh, taking a little bit more time and, and ending the rehab assignment, starting a new one, 
uh, or it's potentially activating him when we begin our homestand. He's performed very well. Uh, yesterday was his first time playing back-to-back games, which is a really good sign for us. Uh, today and through the weekend, we'll find out how he feels coming back from those back-to-back games. Uh, there's no question he's swinging the bat well. It's been a really productive rehab assignment. Uh, it's not been as robust as we would like in, in terms of the number of games he's played. But as long as he's coming out of it feeling good and feels like he can contribute, there's no question he's one of our best offensive players. And, and to have him would be a real shot in the arm. Hey, do you have a, a an early sense of what the trade market may look like this year? Truly no idea. Um, you know, the, the, the game that we have played so far, and which is not uncommon this time of year, is communicating with the other teams. It's a lot of what we call back-of-the-roster movement. It's, it's those players who are on option or the players who tend to go up and down through the course of a season. And as you run into uh, roster issues, troubles, frankly, like we did last week, and you, you saw a flurry of action between, between us and the Giants, uh, whether it be getting players in and out of Canada or what we were doing and trying to manage the injuries on the roster, like we had talked about last week, mm-hmm. that, that is primarily what we're doing right now. And through those conversations, you get some sense of what teams are, are attempting to do. But right now, I'd say that there might be two teams that have determined that they are likely to be early sellers, but early sellers don't even start selling until June. So, it's uh, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of an unknown for us, but you can see the standings start to shape up. Who's at the top? Who's in the middle? Who's at the bottom? And and who has the attractive, uh, I guess, the attractive targets that player teams might come after? And you know, we're getting a sense for that, but truly can't tell you whether it's going to be an active market or not. Other than it most always is. <laughs> Do, do you have a sense yet of, of what you'll want? I mean, do you want to be buyer? Do you think you're buyers? I would, generally, I always approach it like we're buyers. You know, it's, we, we go in always trying to manage the present and the future. And we'll identify between now and then what our needs are. Obviously, our performance between now and the end of July is, is going to tell a large part of that story. But where we reside is that uh, as a – to go into the, the trade deadline as a seller would mean that we no longer truly believe that the core of this team can go win a championship. And, and we're not there. We think this is, this is what we intended to create. Uh, we're, we have to get healthy players back on the field, hopefully starting with Kyle. We get Mitch back. We start seeing some of our bullpen guys rotate back into the mix. And, and I feel like we're looking at a different team and, and then we can have a better idea. But I love the players on our team. I love the mix. I love the balance in our lineup when we're healthy. And, you know, right now we've not performed to the standards I think that we're capable. Uh, we've experienced some unfortunate injuries. Probably makes us much like everybody else in the league. And we're playing through an extremely difficult portion of our schedule while all that's happening. So uh, I'll wait to, to tap in and answer that question <laughs> when we get to July. But we're always – we're always viewing things as balancing present and future and far more likely that we, that we figure out how we can build on this team for 2022 and beyond. What you won't see is you won't see us go out and pour out our minor league system to acquire two players that, that we, that we have with us until the end of 22, believing that we're going to take a mad rush. Mm. We see this as a sustainable long-term project and, and we're going to win here for a long time once the water starts to blow. 
Jerry, thank you. Uh, as always, this time goes too quickly, and I probably have 10, 15 more questions for you. But I will try to hold off till next week, uh, let you enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk next Thursday. Sounds good, Mike.